welcome. Moments away from kicking off. Hey, what's up? Hey, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Very good. Cool. That's amazing. Um, you know, it's almost summer. Almost. It's almost summer. Yeah. I was just discussing earlier with my other half as to whether we should turn the heaters off or not. <laughs> every time oh. we every time we turn it off, it seems to get really cold, and we need to turn it back on. So I don't <laughs> want to jinx it again. I see. No, I uh, here we already hardly get out of air conditioned areas for yeah. our own, you know, well being and safety. No, no AC here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, uh, today we have. Uh, a very intense and uh, kind of um, a lot of topics to discuss, all of them big and interesting. So we will try to split the time and allocate it as well as we can, you know, to to kind of cover uh, uh, all of the topics that we, we wanted to mention. So just like we said in the uh, tweet we're going to talk about governance a lot. Uh, we're going to talk about the um, ideas, some interesting ideas that we had regarding the high-frequency transactions. And uh, we are going to uh, talk about the upcoming hackathon. Um, and also we have uh, some very good questions from the community and uh, some topics that were raised. So yeah, quite, quite a lot of things to talk about. Absolutely. Lots to cover and, and some pretty interesting topics, too. Definitely. Um, so uh, one of the things that uh, are very relevant to this whole uh, DAO discussion that we're going to have is this uh, recent hijacking of the Tornado Cash DAO. Did you hear about that? I, I heard briefly about it. Uh, if I... If I recall correct, there was like a proposal that was going through and then it didn't or something like that. And then the attacker put the same proposal, the same proposal through, but they changed like one of the parameters that meant that they kind of controlled the DAO after it went through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's exactly, it was a very uh, interesting piece of combination like of social engineering yeah. and uh, uh, hacking. So the the proposal that was actually malicious was uh, uh, masked as a uh, like proposal that was very similar to the one that previously was voted uh, for it. Like so, uh, basically, people did not realize uh, that were they were actually voting for something a little bit different. Yeah. And once this malicious proposal was uh, was accepted, uh, it allowed the hacker to replace the code of the actual proposal with something else and uh, uh, get uh, most of the governance tokens. And that's basically how they got uh, control over the DAO. Okay. Uh, and then uh, these, some of these tokens were sold. And, and the last I heard about this story was that the hacker actually kind of restored the control back, but I didn't understand whether, like, or, or what portion of, of the uh, governance tokens were already sold, sold at this point. So I, I didn't quite uh, figure out how it ended. But I think that uh, uh, this is like less important. What is important is that, first of all, uh, there is a huge flow in this specific kind of governance. And we're going to talk about several types of governance today. Uh, that like when people vote on something that uh, they don't 
follow closely and uh, you know do not, and there is no function that kind of checks for those things uh, uh, that that's that's when the scary things happen yeah absolutely and and like one of the f- first thoughts that came to mind when i saw it is like wow i i voted on a lot of stuff and <laughs> never like uh crossed my mind to like check everything really carefully and obviously needed yeah that's that's very uh you know that's natural like most of people they uh, kind of hope that somebody else will check or whatever yeah uh yeah and that's that's when that's when these things happen but in general uh like this is an example of like one of several interesting i would say problems that uh DAOs like need to 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 address uh like because there are several kind of types of DAOs that are available today or several types of governance in general. So I would like to kind of examine it because, as you know, we are trying to move uh, more and more into this DAO governance model. And uh, uh, obviously, we're not there yet. And uh, people ask very legitimate questions like, OK, so where exactly are we <laughs> in this in this road, right? Like, uh, are we closer to being uh, still kind of centralized and uh, uh, actually governed by whatever BIM Foundation or BIM Team, or are we already moving into like more like DAO governance territory and what this means? So I would like to spend at least uh, in the first like, like large part of this of the space to discuss all of these various options and where exactly we are in all of these uh, situations. Yeah. So before before I dive into it, um, let's first understand like what kind of governance is. is available at all like what can we do in theory so first of all we have uh something like pure on-chain governance like for example you have a contract smart contract and there is a certain parameter let's say interest rate that you want to uh, change based on the on-chain voting by people who hold the uh, governance token so this is a an example of something which is very structured and limited. So we are talking about this one parameter, and it can only be changed, obviously, within a certain range and probably within certain steps. You can, like, for example, make it higher by, by like one point or lower. And then when the vote is cast on chain, the change is automatic. So there is no manual intervention. So like let's say every week, we all vote on whether it should stay the same, go one point up or one point down. And then uh, whatever the decision is, that's exactly the change that happens in the smart contract. And it's all coded within the smart contract logic. There is no external um, influence on that at at all. And this is uh, something that can be done in most kind of limited cases where you have like very specific decisions to make. For example, uh, when you're talking about uh, like things like interest rate or collateralization ratio or these kinds of parameters, it's very easy to do because it's well-defined parameter. We all know like what's the range of the values is. We all know how it can be changed. And then the question is only uh, like what exactly should be done. Obviously, the problem still remains that who, who is that person or people who are voting and how exactly uh, like their decision is made in terms of maybe there is one large holder of the governance tokens that basically can influence all of these decisions. Uh, but still, at least in terms of the process, it's very, uh, it's very clear and it's uh, automated, it's programmed, so everybody understands what exactly is going to happen. 
Unfortunately, this approach cannot work in all cases. So let me give you an example. Let's say we want to do the same for deployment of a new application on Beam Chain. So for example, let's say somebody deploys an application and then the DAO can vote whether this application should be activated or not, right? For example. Yep. So it seems like a good approach in some cases, but the problem is that in order to make this work, somebody needs to develop this application, test it, audit it, deploy it, only then to discover that the DAO voted against it, for example. And then obviously it's a problem because it's a huge investment of time and effort just to uh, you know, basically discover that nobody wants it. Uh, and in this case, obviously there probably is going to be a preliminary discussion and only if there is a kind of off-chain informal consensus that yes, it's a, it's a good application and it should be uh, built then and only then somebody builds it and then there is a vote to make it formally uh, also approved. But, you know, the, the, the kind of intent behind it is already known in advance. And this is what we're trying to do with the forum or some of the decisions that were voted on chain. We're trying to first gather the feedback from the community and from everyone to kind of understand what's going on. And then the, kind of the vote itself is more like a formal component uh, to make this official. Okay. Now, in some cases, there are things that need to be done by a person. For example, to deploy a contract in the first place, you cannot do it uh, on-chain because you know the contract is not on-chain yet. So somebody needs to actually deploy it. Or if there is a hard fork, somebody needs to code it and test it and actually perform it. So you have this person or group of people who actually need to have, uh, let's say, higher level access to the blockchain, to the, uh, I don't know, build system, to whatever. Of course, after they do their work, there is, uh, you know, it's responsibility of all miners, let's say, to upgrade their systems. And uh, if they uh, uh, feel that this specific change is uh, uh, bad or like in some way detrimental to the ecosystem, they might not do it. And this is why uh, in some cases in the past, uh, there were uh, adversary hard forks or forks that created like two separate coins instead of one because the consensus change was not accepted by all the miners and there was a split. So yeah, these things also can happen, but still it requires a lot of manual labor and manual work to go into this. Yeah. Right? Okay, so uh, in case of Beam, uh, one of the things that like we tried to do from the very beginning, even when you know it was a formal company, and then when it was like Beam Foundation, we tried to create a maximal alignment of incentives. So that was our approach uh, back in the day, and in fact, like it's mostly uh, what's going on right now. We're trying to create an alignment of incentives where all of the participants uh, are uh, aligned on some key, uh, let's say, values. Uh, and also are uh, incentivized uh, like in the same kind of um, uh, range of values. So for example, uh, let's start with like non-monetary non uh, alignment, right? So everybody agrees that Beam is first and foremost privacy coin and you know solution for privacy and confidentiality. So it's very hard to imagine today uh, any kind of change passing through that will make, let's say Beam non-private, right? That's almost impossible to, you know, to think about. Yeah. So the reason for that is because everybody who is 
uh, in Beam right now, whether it's the team, whether it's the community, they're all uh, here because of this kind of key reason. And uh, this is the informal kind of uh, consensus between all of us that we like privacy, we want privacy, and we are here to provide uh, the best possible kind of privacy-related solutions. However, inside this, obviously, there are a lot of additional kind of decisions that are made. Some of them are very technical. Some of them are more of a uh, uh, economic uh, and uh, kind of tokenomics-related uh, 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 subjects. And once again, these decisions, if we are all, all have the same interest, and let's say we are all BIM holders, so obviously we are interested in BIM going up in value. And now many of us are also BIMX holders, so we are also like kind of understand why, why we hold BIMX and what's the reason for that and why we're doing this. And this is what makes this kind of uh, alignment of incentive um, important in, in, in decision-making, right? So obviously there is an additional aspect that, yeah, like theoretically somebody can do something that other people cannot. Uh, for example, create something malicious or do something like wrong. But the question is what would be his motivation? And what we have always tried to do is to uh, minimize uh, uh, the, like, the situation where uh, like one person or a small group of people can hugely benefit from it, right? So, so far for the last five years, uh, we, we managed to avoid these kinds of, you know, there were no like rug pulls on beam or any other kind of behavior because eventually everybody were interested in kind of the same thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's, you know, ultimate protection from, from anything, uh, but that was the approach. So when we are talking about Right now, yes, still there is a lot of control on the Beam team side in terms of actual implementation of things because that's you know that's that's the people who are actually doing things on Beam today. However, uh, it's almost unthinkable that important decisions will be done like unilaterally or against the will of the community because then what would happen is that this misalignment of kind of uh, approaches would you know basically leave beam or with, without the community or like hurt the reputation which is very important so if you ask yourself like what what drives me what drives like other people it's, it's this right so like nobody wants to do something that will be uh, completely unacceptable by the current community and this is how it's all actually working despite the fact that yes it's theoretically somebody can do something adversarial but in practice uh the, the incentive to do to do that is very low that's kind of the the explanation yeah makes sense i mean it would like uh although there may be certain parts that could be more decentralized i mean everyone is is aligned in their like direction towards creating the privacy tools and and we've seen that coming to fruition especially lately with the the dApps and all that as well for sure so first of all there are some kind of basic principles that uh are required in, in order to make this work everything has to be open source yeah so it's not like trust me bro uh, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah fine uh you, you like we do uh like we, everything that we are doing is uh, made open source like immediately. Uh, and uh, uh, it's an important part of this uh, contract that we all have kind of, you know, in terms of uh, like, you know, 
I think the first kind of uh, six months that we were closed source uh, five years ago, that was like the, the last time that we did something that was uh, not published immediately, except for some small things like the old website. I think it's not open source yet, but it's really meaningless now. And uh, uh, that's like that's one thing. The second part is uh, obviously everything that is related to large movements of DAO funds, whether it's like BMAX, uh, is also agreed upon. And uh, uh, one of the questions that were asked and uh, something that we uh, did screw up is the allocation for BMAX for the uh, for the pool, uh, like being the free pool. Ah, uh, yeah, the all of it went to the BMAX pool. Yes, and it was meant to be between that pool, the Beam Nefrit and Beamex Nefrit as well. Yeah, so there was uh, in the like in the uh, announcement and in the documentation, there was a split of the six percent that was allocated uh, between two pools. The Beam Beamex pool should have gotten four percent, and uh, Beam Nef uh, Nefrit pool should have gotten an additional two percent, and the total was six. Uh, however, due to our mistake, all of the 6% actually went to the BIM, BIMX pool. So now we need to uh, make a decision of how to correct the situation uh, and uh, whether like to allocate additional BIMX for this uh, BIM, BIM, uh, BIM free pool uh, or change the existing allocation. And uh, obviously, technically, it's simpler to allocate new BIMX tokens, but we need to talk this over and, and make the decision. Yeah. Uh, and it's an important one. So... Um, Another decision that is, uh, uh, I think, very kind of important and uh, uh, somebody like, I don't exactly know who it was who talked about it, but uh, basically incentivizing the uh, liquidity from, uh, pro providing liquidity from Ethereum through bridges. Can you say that one more time? Yeah, so if you, if you are moving liquidity from Ethereum, Onto yep. beams through bridges, you could be incentivized with uh, kind of additional BMAX allocation. Yeah, sure. So this is something that we uh, need to formally kind of discuss and uh, decide whether it's a good idea or not, uh, and then I think vote vote on it and uh, make it happen. Yeah, this would yeah, be so cool, and and could also like. Uh, I, it, maybe even if it wasn't just for like bridging over, but bridging over and like providing liquidity and this kind of stuff would be very cool. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Bridging the tokens and then uh, providing liquidity, obviously, yes, in, into either DEX or uh, like any other application. So, um, in terms of, uh, like, for example, Nifrit specifically is a very good example of. Uh, like almost perfect in terms of the DAO uh, of the governance. I'm sorry, application because it does not have any governance, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's just there, and if it's working, it's working. You don't need to make any decisions. You don't need to like. There's no externally available parameters that you could uh, play with or screw up. Unfortunately, not all of the uh, uh, contracts can be made this way, and also there are. Um, like specifically in the free, there are external oracles that are involved, uh, which is also always a problem, you know, anywhere, because an oracle is always centralized. It has huge influence on the behavior of the protocol. So right now, uh, the protection mechanism that's in the free is basically that if the oracle is screwed up, the, the, the contract will just uh, stop uh, changing, right? You will just be able to withdraw your assets as is, and uh, uh, you know it will not. It will not it, uh, continue operating under like this uh, 
like oracles that do not work properly. But once again, like if you have any type of oracle in your system, it's always a you know, weakness point, as we saw multiple times. Yeah. Um, in many contexts that we have deployed, like DEX included, uh, they do have uh, an ability to upgrade like through, uh, so there is a kind of admin account, but the only thing that this uh, admin can do is to upgrade the contract. And the upgrade of the contract is not immediate, it's, it always has a period of time, which is specified when the contract is actually launched. Um, and by the way, this is also one, one of the important things that are currently missing and are lagging, like, be, are very behind like what we need to, to have is um, how all of this information is exposed. Because right now, like for example, some of these parameters are not simple to, to find or to, uh, to view through the existing Explorer. And we need to work on that. Uh, Vladi is doing a lot of work on that from both from the backend side and also he provided uh, some uh, uh, kind of workaround or like uh, solutions to, to kind of see what's happening right now. But we do need, and we're working on the upgrade to the official explorer to show all of these important information, how much uh, value is locked in the contract, what is uh, upgrade policy, etc. So the upgrade is uh, always delayed by at least one week. So when, for example, the new uh, version is deployed, there is an activation height for this version, which is always at least one week away from the current block, uh, block height. The reason for that is that if uh, this new update is either malicious or involves uh, you know, some kind of decisions that are not accepted by everyone, it, people have time to react and to either withdraw the liquidity or make any other decisions. So there is no such a thing like an immediate upgrade of the contract and then just you know something new is happening. The reason we still keep these contracts uh, with this option at all is just because we're scared of some bug that we will need to fix. Um, and uh, it's, it's a problem, right? It's kind of a trade-off between like if you, we, we could deploy contracts that are completely immutable, but then if something happens, we also have absolutely no uh, ability to fix it. Uh, you know, so eventually the idea is that once the contracts are mature enough and we understand that they're working and you know, no bugs were found, uh, we will close the upgrade uh, completely. And then they will become basically just like Nifrit, completely governance and uh, aut autonomous. Okay, nice. So the like, although the contracts at the moment are upgradable with the one week roughly uh, kind of wait period, they do have the ability to become like immutable and, and set in stone kind of thing. Yeah. Basically, you know, the last upgrade will just close this function. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, once again, like in the perfect world, uh, which we're, we're not there yet, but that's where we should go. Uh, it works like everybody gets an automatic notification that certain contract is about to be upgraded, uh, okay. either via a bot, which we don't have and probably should have. Uh, and then what is happening is that this the code for the upgrade should be obviously available. And then uh, there should be a very good way, which by the way, right now is not the case, and I'll explain why in a second, uh, uh, to verify that the deployed code is actually exactly the same code as was, was advertised. Otherwise, you know, it's meaningless. Okay, yeah. 
Um, so the reason it's not simple to do is just because of the tool chain. So we need to create a generalized kind of standardized tool chain, uh, which means like if you don't build the code with exactly the same version of the compiler and you know all of the other tools, then the result uh, might be different. And uh, so in order to avoid that, you need to fix all of the tools that you use in order to build the contract and uh, only use the specific version. Uh, so that's like one additional task that need to, needs to be done. And obviously it should be uh, verifiable and uh, uh, predictable build, right? So every time you, like anyone builds the same code, they will eventually get the same binary result. Um, so yeah, that's, that's also like part of it all. Um, regarding the auditing, for example, so auditing was considered for a long time one of the kind of key components of each, uh, you know, deployment of each major protocol. But for the last, I don't know, couple of years, we saw time and time again audited contracts doing all kinds of weird things, of you know, being hacked, being rug pulled, whatever. So these audits, in my opinion. Uh, could not be a relied, like, you know, you cannot say, oh, that was audited by, you know, Chertik or whatever, like, and, uh, <laughs> that's fine, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and the truth is that we have audited our code um, several times in Beam. First of all, obviously, before the uh, launch in 2019, we have audited it with three different companies, and it was very expensive. Uh, and uh, the truth is that the results were, so once again, I don't want to say anything bad about these people because they're all honest and very kind of, you know, hardworking and knowledgeable people, but it is very, very difficult uh, to audit, especially if it's new technology and new code. Uh, yeah, like if you have audited a thousand, uh, uh, you know, solidity contracts, then the, the next one could be. Uh, I, I think even ChatGPT can audit contracts today. But uh, if it's new, completely new blockchain, if it's like new and different code, uh, custom implemented, it's very difficult to audit it. So I, I do not blame these people for for missing things uh, that were later discovered during the operation because it was almost impossible to find it. On the other hand, like it's a big question, right? Because these audits are crazy expensive. Yeah. And it, it's a big question, like how much value do they exactly bring and what are the alternatives, right? So let's say, I don't know, tomorrow we want to deploy some, uh, you know, governance upgrade, right? Like, is it safe? Is it not safe? Who, who's to tell, right? How does, how should it work? Uh, it, it's all questions for like, that don't have any, any deterministic answers today. Like it's all needs to be decided by all of us on a case by case basis, right? So it's a, it's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so for example, like let's take like, in my opinion, an example of well-governed project like Monero, right? I think Monero is very well-governed. Yeah. However, uh, the, the trade off that they have taken is less, in my opinion, less development, less innovation, like in terms of like the uh, tempo of, of change. Like it, it's always this balance that you, you know, you can, you can leave something working for a long time and touch it as little as possible, which is, which is nice, but then you miss on some possible innovations. However, you're not risking, you know, upsetting something that's been working for a long time. Bitcoin obviously is on this kind of extreme 
uh, uh, they, they added they added the taproot or whatever that was, and now like there are ordinals and all of these uh, other strange things, all of yeah. a sudden. And uh, some people are let's say less than thrilled uh, about that. Um, so, so in my opinion, like Monero did it really well. Uh, on the other hand, for example, as it can, in my opinion, really mismanaged project is Green. Uh, because Green, okay, so they had their issues and they lost their uh, leader at some point. He he uh, disappeared and like I, I don't know exactly what it was, uh, but uh, they actually have a lot of funds. Uh, like they they have been donated. Probably you remember these uh, old bitcoins. There was a big story about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and today they have actually crazy amounts of money, like in, in our beam, you know, uh, broadcast terms. Uh, however, they are not disposing these funds, uh, they're not using these funds uh, well. Uh, they have very few developers doing mostly maintenance, very little innovation, very little activity, even though they do have funds sitting, just sitting there, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's like the opposite of, uh, uh, what we did in Beam, so we, we used all of the funds that we could, you know, get from investors or any other uh, means, and uh, uh, tried to maximize them in terms of the development efforts. Uh, which is why, like Beam, had relatively large team back in the day when you know everybody was kind of on the payroll and uh, it was full time uh, work for for everyone. So. Uh, at the same time, we did manage to create a lot of different additional things and uh, bring BIM technologically to where it is today with smart contracts and uh, the DeFi ecosystem, like it was all uh, part of this of this effort. Um, so yeah, like th this is kind of the, the alternative. Now, back to the original and kind of to summarize this discussion, what I see happening in the near future. So first of all, everything that we can effectively uh, you know, make pure on-chain and decentralized, we will, uh, whether it's uh, you know, any parameterized smart contracts uh, or any other kind of uh, uh, you know, decision-making that, uh, that could be made to a pure on-chain vote, I think we should do it. Um, in terms of BMX allocation, and in a second, I'll address another question about dumping BMX that happened after it was uh, launched on DEX. But in terms of BMX allocation, the idea behind the uh, overall kind of uh, pie that you know we presented when we had launched the BMX DAO and how it should be allocated uh, eventually is that the majority of BMX should go to the community. Like if we take whatever, like team investors uh, doesn't matter, the majority of BMX should be allocated to the community. But how it is allocated in terms of the timeline, that was never discussed. And then we did some kind of ad hoc steps uh, along this way, uh, which I'm not sure are, are you know, are perfect, but that, that's what we, we, we did until right now. So first of all, we have uh, uh, provided this kind of risk-free uh, liquidity mining uh, for people who are locking BIM. And uh, there was a um, uh, about like 1%, which is like 1 million BIMX was distributed during about three months after the BIMX DAO launch. 
the idea behind it was that in order to get these BMX, people need to uh, lock beam in the contract. And it means taking taking this beam out of centralized exchanges, locking it for, for this period of time, uh, obviously installing the wallet, participating, launching the application. So the, the, the idea behind giving away uh, 1 million of free BMX was that uh, it will uh, kind of bring people to experience beam you know ecosystem and beam wallets and see how it how it you know works uh and it's not just something that you do by sitting on a centralized exchange and just clicking here and there and don't even know what the project that you're buying does so that was the the idea and in my opinion at least some of the people who uh dumped uh, bmx immediately after the bmx uh was launched on dex is uh uh, it's like people who just uh, kind of got it for free, so they didn't have anything to to lose. It was kind of free money. Yeah. Uh, so that's like that's my my opinion. Like as far as I know, most of the team is definitely not uh, selling uh, Bmax, and in, personally, like I think it's uh, uh, I can say if it's a good investment or not, but it, it does have a, a purpose that is moving. Kind of, we're moving towards towards to like, like use it as a governance token for the ecosystem. So uh, that's that's like what what is happening. Uh, I also don't think that investors uh, that in, invested like in BMAX uh, back in the day when when there was a round, uh, they're selling because they would be selling at a huge loss. I don't think they're doing that. But you know, uh, obviously, you know, confidential cryptocurrency, you cannot be sure who's doing what. Thank yeah, you. and and at the end of the day, like there will be people that sell, there will be people that buy, and and this is the way it goes. Uh, I think what's more important is like the developments that are happening, uh, like BMX being the governance token for Nefri. I think is very cool, and <laughs> I mean, there's no governance in Nefri, so that's maybe not the right way to to put it. But like the DAO itself will be in control of the decks and control of the yeah. asset mentor and control of their freight and all of the fees and, and generated beam or, or whatever the fees are in. Uh, this will be going to the DAO and, and to be controlled by BMX holders, which I think is far more important and far more interesting than. Yes, so that's exactly the point. So all of the revenues that are generated by all of these applications uh, eventually like go to only one place, which is the DAO vault. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually working. So each transaction that is done uh, on, on either in the free or DEX, uh, you can see, like, you can see, and this is like, one of the points that I'm, I'm coming to, the transparency part. But once we do have the transparency that we need, which is... Definitely, I think one of the biggest problems right now, like people don't exactly know what's going on. So you can see some of the parameters inside each application, but there is no clear dashboard that shows, okay, this is what's going on with each contract. Uh, and we don't have too many for now. So it's like, I don't know, there's several key contracts that uh, you need to know about and understand what's going on with them. When they are upgraded, there should be a bot that notifies you when anything like out of the ordinary happens. Obviously, everybody should know about it. Uh, the total value log should be exposed and also the uh, revenues that are generated from the transaction on these contracts and uh, that go to the DAO vault should be very visible and clear. 
And that's like point number one. Point number two is uh, we do need to take better care of the kind of day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, working with proposals on on the forum, which sometimes gets forgotten or neglected uh, for long periods of time. And I just want to say this: please do remind us and you know nag us as, as like and me personally as as you know as much as you can. Uh, without kind of interfering with your regular life. But if you see that you posted something and nobody looked at it for two days, please just, you know, send me DM on Telegram and say, Alex, you know, take a look at this because that's what happens. Everybody's busy. Everybody is doing a lot of things. Things get, you know, missed. That's not how it should be. It's not intentional. It's not because, you know, nobody cares. It's because everybody is very preoccupied with all kinds of things. Yeah. So uh, we do see that whenever there is uh, active nagging on any subject, we do respond. Uh, you know, whether it's the blockchain size or any other, you know, topic. Uh, eventually, the answers are, are are getting there. So yeah, it's working. Uh, nagging works. Uh, please do more of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, that that's kind of uh, in terms of the the forum and what's going on there. Uh, yeah, so we are still in the process of trying, kind of figuring out how it should work and how it should work better. Uh, a lot of things are right now are not, uh, you know, are not there in, in many different areas. Uh, yeah, so that's you know a lot of work still ahead of us uh, in, in how this should uh, eventually kind of work uh, uh, as as a DAO. Absolutely. And, and I think like we're on the right trajectory and, and path forward towards uh, improving it and, and making it more of a flywheel kind of set up for the DAO itself as well. And being uh, yeah, I agree that we are we are moving forward, maybe not as fast as we all would want to, but uh, we, we have good intentions and we have great people. Uh, and uh, yeah, like... Eventually, we will get there, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, like I, I could probably talk more about this topic and probably I should, but let's, you know, move to the next one because the time is running out, but we, we should get back to that and discuss this in more detail. So the second topic I would like to um, kind of talk about is... Uh, the idea that we had with high-frequency transactions. So the high-frequency transactions is this mechanism that we use both in DEX and different applications. And the way they work is whenever the transaction is sent into the mempool, instead of just being added to the long list of transactions waiting to be mined, like it is in most other cryptocurrencies, the transaction is actually added in this kind of a tree when the transaction says, okay, I'm going to be after this transaction, right? And it points on a specific transaction and this creates a like well-ordered and defined sequence. Yeah. Now, whenever a new transaction comes, it can basically say, no, I don't want to be after the last one. I want to be after the first one or before the first one. However, it also needs to provide enough fees for the miner to compensate for all of the transactions in the branch that it is replacing. Because eventually what the miner does, it selects the most profitable branch to mine. And the most profitable branch for the miner is the one that has the most fees. So you have this kind of micro blockchain, right? Uh, sort of inside of it, made of transactions. 
there are several kind of very important benefits to this approach. So the first benefit is that when you are deciding what to do uh, in terms of, for example, sending a transaction to the DEX and like understanding what's the current price or what is going to happen with your transaction, you can rely on this longest branch that you currently have. And you can make some decisions before the block is mined. Because on Beam, as you know, the block is mined one minute on average. But in practice, it could be six minutes. It could be five minutes. And sometimes it, it's relatively long periods of time. And things can kind of change. So, so the application can make a decision of what exactly to do when it sees that it sent a transaction, but the situation had changed. And now there is a different transaction standing kind of in line before it, which changes the price. So right now, all of these decisions are, are completely automated and behind the scenes. So there is a fixed slippage. There is a fixed uh, behavior on what to do. Basically, what happens is that if I see that I can no longer be where I want it, I just kind of jump. The transaction jumps to the uh, end of the queue and adjusts itself. If the change is too much, like, for example, the slippage is fixed to 1%. So if we are beyond uh, that limit, the transaction just cancels. Uh, and that's why you see failed transactions in the deck sometimes. So the idea is to take this mechanism to the next level and use it to create a smoother trading experience. So for example, when you are trading on DEX and you're doing a, a trade, you will see the result of your trade immediately as you send the transaction, even though it wasn't mined yet. So basically, it's a little bit similar to what's happening in today's Ethereum, where you have two stages. You have the kind of transaction completed and then transaction finalized when it was actually finalized by the validators. In our case, the completed means that the transaction was uh, accepted into the mempool and now it's ordered in a specific branch. And finalized, it's when it was actually mined. Now, obviously, there could be rollbacks because sometimes your transaction could be just canceled by another transaction that kind of changes the state of this mempool tree. And then what's happening, you need to get a notification in the UI, that, and then you can make a decision of what to do. It can be automated if you select some defaults, or you can make a decision, you know, actually yourself in real time, basically to either uh, increase the fee. So let's say you want to be number two in the list, and then somebody says, no, I'm going to be number two, and I pay more. And you say, no, I want to pay even more, and then I'll be number two again, something like that. Yeah. Uh, or you can uh, you know, change some additional parameters of the transaction with the knowledge of what exactly changed. Right. So the actual challenge here is not just to, to make it work uh, you know, in, in the wallet, but also, and most importantly, to uh, properly presented in the UI so that you understand what's happening and that you can make make the decision what to do. This makes sense. And and actually, I, I was using something the other day that worked a little bit like this. It, it was on Ethereum and I think it was like an NFT thing or something like that. But But the thing I thought was very cool was that it had like... It was selling NFTs or a, a place to buy NFTs, and it would tell you if there was already a pending transaction, like in the mempool or something like this. Like someone was already trying to buy it. Exactly. Uh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's exactly the point. Yeah, and I, like when I saw that, I thought, "Wow, what a like what a amazing, <laughs> like very simple idea, but what an amazing like uh, feature." 
Yeah, so the the point is that like it actually depends on uh, how often it will happen that the, the pool is rearranged. I think that yeah. on in regular cases it, it will be relatively rare. Uh, but once again, you know, once it happens, you will need uh, to be able to understand what happened because you just made the trade and then it was canceled. Now, it yeah. can happen anyway because theoretically there are rollbacks, but, you know, people who trade mostly on Ethereum, uh, they, you know, don't experience rollbacks anymore. And uh, even when it was proof of work, it was very rare, uh, almost like never happened. But still, uh, in, in this case, it, it's a possibility and it needs to be properly presented. By the way, the other interesting benefit of this approach is that uh, there can no longer be uh, front-running uh, and sandwiching MEV, right? Okay. Because, yes, you can back-run, but you cannot front-run. You know, if I'm saying I want my transaction after this one, nobody can come in between, right? If they do, my transaction will be just canceled. Okay, nice. Uh, yeah, so I know it's like not a huge topic on Beam right now, but it is a huge topic in general, uh, on decentralized exchanges uh, everywhere, where yeah. there is a lot of uh, action and liquidity, then you know people are getting front run and sandwich all the time, and they lose a lot of money as a result. And the MEV is actually one of the huge topics uh, being discussed, uh, this in the Ethereum community and uh, Polygon and several others. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very interesting like space as, as well. Yeah, it's it's an exciting exciting space. Uh, Maybe one day, like we will talk about it, but in general, right? Not specifically about you know related to Beam, but it's a fascinating topic to to investigate. Um, so yeah, like you get these two benefits: you get kind of immediate response to uh, your transaction, like what happened, and you get the reflected the new state is reflected immediately in the UI, and also you have this benefit of nobody being able to uh, to front run you anymore. So I think it's. Uh, it's very, very nice uh, use of this high frequency transaction feature. Absolutely, and and like I, I want to say, very nice for new people like coming into the Beam ecosystem because this is one thing that always comes to mind. I mean, I, I personally have been like a victim <laughs> of sam of getting sandwiched or whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I remember, I think it was Nancy and the like analytics tool i looked at my account on there and, and it had like a tag on my wallet of like sandwich victim uh but anyway what i wanted to say is like a lot of new people i see coming in buying coins on dexes and this kind of thing and they just get obliterated by these mev bots because they're not familiar enough to to avoid it and like for people coming into the beam ecosystem if they by default were able to avoid it that would be a huge win for for beam yeah so uh it, it's first it, it works like that uh today right so it's uh, by by default but the difference is that you just you know in in um your experience when you are uh trading uh using today's decks is still uh much uh, slower and it's correlated with the uh, speed of the kind of blockchain, uh, you know, adding new blocks, right? So your experience is still just like you would send a regular transaction. You see it pending, pending, pending. Okay, completed. So that's like your experience and you understand that there was a new block. If we um, build this new kind of 
uh, high frequency transaction based UFs, it will be like instant, right? It will feel like everything is you know, happening immediately. And only the kind of settlement, the eventual settlement on, you know, when the new block is mined will just move your transaction from completed to uh, kind of, uh, you know, verified or confirmed and that's, and that's it, right? But in, the experience will be much smoother. We're currently building a small proof of concept on that. And once it's ready, we will uh, obviously show it on, uh, uh, like on DAPnet or any other like, you know, testing network and we will see how it works. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things that uh, uh, we're working on. Very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, another topic that uh, I would like to talk about before we run out of time is the hackathon. So, uh, yeah, you probably saw the tweet uh, with the announcement, and I would like to just provide a little bit more details about what's going to happen. And uh, uh, tomorrow, I promise, uh, I, I say it to Amir because I promised him to do it today and yesterday and the day before, but I will finally complete the article about uh, the exact kind of stages of the hackathon and what's going to happen. Uh, but I will take this opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, talk about it because I, I'm really excited about this. Um, so the idea is to have a hackathon which will focus on the uh, front-end part of, of the application. So the last hackathon we had involved writing contracts. Uh, it was very difficult. Nobody managed to do it and nobody, like I, I think, like, no one. Uh, and now we want to make it uh, different. And we do want to have a lot of successful projects as the result. So it's going to be divided into a few stages. At first, we will try to promote this as much as possible to collect applications. All you need to do to, part like to, to participate is just basic knowledge of any web development platform, React, uh, Vue, Angular, pure JavaScript, doesn't matter. Because what you will be doing is basically integrating with our uh, wallet component, which is WebAssembly. This is how all of the current applications work. So we can look at examples. We will provide a well-documented and organized, better than today uh, kind of framework to get started. And then you can create a new application. However, there is always a question, OK, so what does my application work against on the blockchain? Like, like you still need some kind of smart contract to make a proper Web3 application. And for that, we have several proposals. The first one is uh, to use any of the existing contracts. So you can create a mashup between DEX and BANS or BANS and Gallery or whatever. So you can use any of the existing contracts to interact with. You can also, uh, we're going to provide uh, some generic contracts that allow you to store data, get data, some basic functions on the blockchain. So you can do some simple operations. Uh, the third and one of the most exciting uh, things that uh, we want to announce is the ability to create simple contracts in Solidity on first version of EVM integrated into BIM. Nice. This is yeah. Cool. <laughs> so by the time uh, of the hackathon, we will provide a separate blockchain that will be uh, will include a new version that will allow to write relatively simple Solidity contracts. So it's not going to be a full featured um, kind of you know completely Ethereum compatible EVM, but it will allow anyone who knows Solidity to write some kind of simple things and work against them with our uh, DAP infrastructure, and I think it's going to be huge, uh, both for you know attracting developers and showcasing 
uh, our kind of EVM integration and gathering feedback and finding bugs. Uh, so I think it's, it's going to be a big uh, step towards the next hard fork, which will, I hope, at some point, completely integrate EVM into Beam alongside existing virtual machines. So we'll be able to choose how you want to develop smart contracts. Um, and the last possibility is that if somebody submits an idea that good that all you know we all like say oh it's it's an amazing thing then we will be able to just you know write a custom smart contract uh for this specific project obviously not a production level but for good enough for the hackathon and then uh, allow this team to build the solution on top of it so that's kind of the the options uh obviously once we collect some uh, applications we will do some seminars uh you know explain that how things work, uh, do some coding sessions, kind of show how to use these different tools and how to work with uh, the, the Beam wallets and everything, and obviously provide support for everyone who wants to uh, to participate. Uh, we should decide on the price pool uh, and like <laughs> where, where to get it. Um, so this is like additional thing. And then uh, once all of these stages are complete, we will, we will set a date, uh, or maybe initially we'll set a date, uh, and we will make it like something like 24 hours, not necessarily, you know, everybody needs to be online all the time, but 24 hours hour period to kind of create and submit something. Uh, and if somebody says, I don't have any ideas, like, but I do want to participate, we'll provide some standard kind of uh, ideas to implement uh, for the hackathon. Um, I think it will be, it will be really fun and uh, kind of huge, you know, uh, opportunity to get the, some developers uh, you know, to, to, to join and look at what we, we have in terms of uh, uh, you know, various tools and integrations. Um, yeah, so that's that's something in the works. And uh, uh, once again, I will publish the, the article like tomorrow, I promise, and then we will kind of start talking about specific steps to take in this direction. Very cool. And I think that like this presents like a far better opportunity than the the previous hackathon i mean we have a lot more example contracts uh as you mentioned like the the initial evm compatibility will be there to to test out and play around with and, and the focus on the front end application side makes a lot of sense as well uh and it will be cool to see what comes out of it yeah do we know? Do we know roughly when it will be taking place? So I was thinking something towards the end of June, uh, like oh. in about a month. But yeah. uh, once we detail all the steps and we will see if, if it's feasible, or maybe we should make it a little bit later. Uh, but but yeah, like uh, I, I think uh, something around uh, around that time would be uh, would be cl close to reality, like maybe a bit late. Um, so yeah, before we before we move on, I, there are two questions I just want to uh, briefly address uh, because I think they are important and they just want to touch them. Um, so first of all, there is a very good question like, what's the main focus of Beam now that we have Dex and Mifrit and they're all online and you know and and working? And when we say goals, like not about the, the next releases, uh, which will be the web wallet and the mobile wallet and the desktop wallet and all of this, but how like more kind of you know general goals, what are they? Um, it's a great question. I'm not going to give a full answer now because you know it's probably a good topic for another time, and also I think it, it's better to be to do it in writing in general. Uh, but 
I would outline three things. First of all, liquidity. You, like, obviously, liquidity and users is all, almost the same thing, but more uh, awareness, more people trying, joining. Uh, and by the way, this is something that uh, another question mentions is how to pro provide more utility for BMAX, uh, like something, more things to do with BMAX and also definitely uh, like not just BMAX, but in general, more things to do on BIM, which can be engaging for newcomers, uh, whether it's incentives for bringing liquidity from other chains or whatever, but it's definitely something that we need to continue thinking about and doing. And back to the goals. So the first one, more liquidity and more users. The second one is we need to close uh, the gaps in transparency, as I said, which is very important. Uh, the DAO governance and organization so that we make it very clear right, to everyone who is joining what exactly is going on. Uh, I think that the recent kind of uh, website upgrade is a good step in this direction. However, as you probably noticed, some of the documentation is not working still. It still requires, you know, uh, migrating and updating and organizing. So we need to do that. We need to finally kind of close the uh, issues with the Blockchain Explorer to make it show all of the existing contracts. And uh, once again, like when the web wallet will be out, it will be make it easier for new people to see the applications without downloading anything. So this is kind of the second part to close these gaps for, you know, uh, the, de the technical debt that we have debt that we have in terms of uh, making uh, you know our DeFi ecosystem stand out. Uh, and the third goal I would say is to uh, look for um, kind of uh, you know, for lack of better word, like market fit in terms of what we can offer that nobody else has like technologically we do have a lot but from the product perspective uh, i think uh, we, we can do we can do more and look for opportunities to integrate with other projects um recently for example i read that nim uh nim did a kind of integration with the lip p2p which is the library that we use on the networking le level so integrating with nim is one option again many other kind of ideas that we uh we have to increase the prominence and awareness and the usability eventually of BIM. Um, so yeah, like that's that I would say were are the three main goals. But once again, I will write it down and you know let's let's discuss it in more detail because it's easy to talk, but uh, eventually we do need specific things to to discuss and to do. Absolutely, and and this would actually be like a great discussion to have on the forum and and get a lot of the community kind of aligned with the goals and, and how to achieve them and this kind of thing, which has already been taking place as well, which has been great to see. Yeah. So the last question I just want to mention is about the progress with uh, centralized exchange listings. Uh, I'm not aware of, of any, honestly. Like maybe I don't know everything, but from what I know, I don't think anyone is going to list BIM in the near future. No, like uh, definitely not Binance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but by the way, uh, speaking of Binance relisting, uh, I, I don't know if it's still the case, but, uh, you know, in, in most cases, I think they require, uh, KYC of the team and security deposits. I, I don't know how it works with, uh, Pepe, for example, but, uh, uh yeah, I think they, they have a lot of requirements, but then if you have a lot of volume, they, they kind of throw them out the door. 
so to speak. Uh, this is me just guessing. I have no. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, like I mean, you know, if the project is popular enough, maybe maybe they will list it anyway. But uh, mm. I think uh, uh, like they they didn't require any KYC from Bitcoin, obviously, right, or Ethereum, but still. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this uh, covers mo like all of these things that we had uh, uh, in the list. Um, it was it was a long list. Yeah, a lot to cover and, and some really interesting points brought up as well. Yeah. So just to uh, kind of reiterate uh, one important point again, if you feel that you don't get the answers, if you feel that your proposals are not read or anything like you're, you're neglected, please do not hesitate to bring this up again uh, and again and like, you know, make us aware and uh, yeah, like we, we, we do want to uh, provide answers and like it's, it's not like usually we're not avoiding subjects you know there are some exceptions but usually we don't uh, yeah so please do not give up on us uh, you know keep bringing this up and uh, it's very important um, yeah and uh, uh, like in the coming days there will be a lot of updates and news about like the, the hackathon thing and the releases that are coming I hope very soon so yeah like Stay tuned, stay with us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Absolutely. Alex, thank you again. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.